I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to June's podcast series of One Month to Better Investigations and Internal Reporting. So what do you do when the call, the email, or the personal tip comes into your office where an employee reports suspicious activity somewhere literally across the globe? That activity might well turn into a Foreign Corrupt Practices Act issue for your company. In today's climate, it can turn into issues under lots of different anti-corruption jurisdictions. The Brazilian Clean Companies Act, the UK Bribery Act, or even domestic anti-corruption laws such as brought GSK to bear in China. As the Chief Compliance Officer, it will be up to you to begin the process which will determine in many instances how your company will respond going forward and will set the tone throughout this most difficult period. This month's podcast series will provide to you all the steps you need to consider going forward. I'm going to take a look at independent versus in-house investigations, investigation protocols, the different resources that a compliance practitioner may bring to bear in an investigation, such as internal audit, IT, and legal. And I'll take a look at special issues such as privilege, Upjohn and Miranda warnings, data privacy, and of course, the Yates memo and its effect. I think you will learn a lot this month if you follow this podcast series. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to the June podcast series. Day six, what leads to a successful board investigation? In the article, Successful Board Investigations, the authors posited seven considerations to facilitate a successful board investigation. Number one, consider whether you need independent outside counsel. The appearance of partiality undermines the objectivity and credibility of an investigation. This means you should not use your regular counsel. The Securities and Exchange Commission does an analysis of just how truly independent board members are when they explain the need for independent counsel. The SEC follows, <coughs> rather considers the following criteria when determining whether and how much to credit self-policing, self-reporting, remediation, and cooperation. The factors that the SEC will take a look at include did management, the board, or its committees consist solely of outside directors oversee the review? <clears throat> did company employees or outside persons perform the review? If it was outside persons, have they done work for the company previously? If the review is conducted by outside counsel, has management previously engaged such outside counsel? How long was the firm's last representation of the company? How often has the law firm represented the company? And how much in legal fees has the company paid the firm? Number two, consider hiring an experienced investigator to lead the internal investigation. Well-known blogger Jim McGrath has written and spoken often about the need to utilize specialized counsel in any serious investigation. If the board is leading an investigation, it is by definition serious. Your investigation needs to be led by a lawyer with significant experience in conducting internal investigations, a strong background in criminal white-collar or SEC law, and has a substantive experience in the particular area of law at issue. Three, consider the need to retain outside experts. In any FCPA or other anti-corruption investigation, there will be a need for a wider variety of subject matter experts than simply a compliance professional. 
If there are accounting issues, forensic accounts may be needed. In this day and age, electronic discovery consultants is often required and can be a cost-effective option for gathering and processing electronic data for review. Number four, analyze potential conflicts of interest at the outset and ongoing during the investigation. There are two types of conflicts of interest that may come to light during the investigation. The first one which comes up is when the law firm or lawyers conducting the investigation or those whose activities prior legal activities have some bearing on the matters being investigated because the company's regular outside lawyers represent the company during the investigation. <clears throat> Therefore, during the investigation, lawyers may be hired and represent the board or its committee. Second occurs when a lawyer or law firm represents the board and the employees of the company as the regulators have become increasingly concerned about joint representations. Please note this is not joint defense agreements, but joint representations. The trickier question in is what to do when simply there is a risk that representing one client could limit the lawyer's duties to others. So in these situations, joint representations may be appropriate. Number five, carefully evaluate whistleblower allegations. Whistleblowers have become a <clears throat> more important in taking their allegations seriously is absolutely paramount. Recall that last September, the SEC capped or topped over the $100 million mark in whistleblower awards paid. This does not mean finding out who the whistleblower might be to punish or stifle them, as that is clearly against the law. Even if you are located outside the United States and do not have the protections under these laws, whistleblowers can still get hefty bounties no matter where they are in the world. Regulators are very wary of boards do not satisfactorily evaluate a whistleblower's complaint based upon the perception of the whistleblower, him or herself. Witness the debacle of GlaxoSmithKline in China. Number six, request regular out updates from outside counsel without limiting the investigation. These types of investigations are long and very costly. They can easily spin out of control, particularly cost control. But by trying to manage these costs, the board might be perceived as placing improper limits on the investigation. The goal is to strike the right balance between the cost of the investigation and the thoroughness and credibility. To do so, flexibility is an important ingredient. The scope of the investigation is not a static one-time decision. It can and usually does evolve. Number seven, consider whether an oral report at the conclusion of the investigation is sufficient. While there may be instances in which, due to the complexity and nature of the allegations involved, a written report is necessary, there also may be times when an oral report delivered to the board is better than a written report for. A written report may be easier to follow and appear to be uh, to give logical conclusions to an investigation. It is also an expensive and time-consuming endeavor, and therefore it comes with greater risks. So what are today's three key takeaways? Well, first of all, it's incumbent upon the board to retain the right counsel. You've got to consider conflicts, the appearance of conflicts, and whether or not the law firm investigating your company has done any of the legal work involved and whether they've done significant legal work on other matters. Two, carefully evaluate whistleblower allegations and specifically reject, and not only specifically reject evaluation, but take steps to make sure the whistleblower is protected. Number three, consider receiving oral reports on an ongoing basis and one lengthy oral report on the investigation at the end. I cannot emphasize enough the seriousness of a board investigation. If it gets to this level, it is by definition quite serious, and the board must take the lead in not only overseeing the investigation, but in many ways managing it going forward. 
Uh, you may have one point person at the senior management level that you're communicating with, but whatever you use that communication, the board has to be actively involved. They have to be getting regular updates and they need to be seen as active in all of this role. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to day six of One Month to Better Investigations and Reporting, and I hope you'll join me tomorrow for day seven. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate the podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about the only one-month podcast series to a better compliance program. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again for one month to better investigations and reporting. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.